Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. First Spider-Man products that Sony put out in collaboration with MTV. And you'll kind of see um, how things start to change. And you compare this to Sony's products now, and they're just absolutely amazing. But this is what it was like uh, over a decade ago. You know, you still had tune shading, but everything was a lot lower quality, as you can see. And so, um, so yeah, from from 3D, uh, I was always inspired by um, you know the original Resident Evil, uh, Final Fantasy VII, obviously Metal Gear, and I really wanted to get into games because that was my passion. Uh, and so I, I left the television uh, industry and uh, 3D animated industry, and I, I started working at FIFA. And so back then, you could see that you know um, it was it was all about. Uh, low poly texturing and trying to maximize uh, the illusion of having this grand stadium, uh, but using it on a really, really small budget. And things have changed so much since then. Now the machines are super powerful and the consoles are uh, really robust and the quality bars are going higher and higher. And with that, education has gotten uh, easier in some areas and a lot more detailed in other areas. Um, and along with that comes different requirements for all the type of art we create. Um, so yeah, today I was gonna talk a lot about like, what, is it, what does it mean to actually be an artist in the game industry? And um, as much as we all love to create beautiful art, there's, there's other things that are involved with uh, making it meaningful and performant to the game. That's great. And, uh, and you mentioned um, the quality bar is higher and that's a big part of what we focus on. That's a big part of what I focus on these days um, because there's, uh, we like to make sure our students know and everybody knows in our industries, there's not really a, um, a labor shortage like there is in programming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's what they call a talent shortage. I do not like the word talent, but I understand what they mean by that. You know, and that there's a certain level that you have to reach, um, but it's not always what people think. You know, sometimes people think it's anim- it's anatomy or something like that. But there's more to it that's being looked at. So I'd love to hear more about what you uh, have to say there. Absolutely. Like um, over the years, I've obviously had a lot of interviews and written a lot of job descriptions about uh, what we need to have in terms of a skill set in various different departments. Uh, I started as as a modeler in in like soft image, and um, over the years, you you kind of start to wonder. It's like, okay, well, you know, what am I going to do next? How can I be competitive in the industry? And so I started to go into TD work. And even though there's a lot of security in um, doing scripting and pipelines and technical direction, whether you're specializing in characters or rendering or anything like that, you, you ultimately still need to keep up all your skills, right? Um, and, and so like, I think a, a great point of discussion that we can start with is like, what, what makes um, an applicant stand out 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, in this sea of, of competition. Uh, and, and competition has changed quite a lot, like with um, ArtStation and, and just different uh, mediums and social media where you can get yourself out there and your work out there. Uh, but, I, but I think also what has changed for the better is not just the software, but um, you can see it now with having to do more, um, you know, quarantine kind of stay from home there's a lot of people that are affected and there's a lot of people that um, it's less affected because most of the work right now that is happening in indie studios as well as some of the big studios is, is remote. And so talent is, it doesn't necessarily have to be restricted to where you live um, or, or even language barrier at this point. This mm -hmm. is one thing that we focus on at Pixelmatic uh, being um, you know, a very distributed team. We, we work from Shanghai, Vancouver, California, France, Japan, Italy, Philippines, um, and talent, if, if, if it's the right talent, you can get it from anywhere. And it doesn't matter about whether they're sitting at a desk next year or not. I think the industry is now more than ever embracing that. Um, so when it comes down to what makes a good artist and a good fit for a project, it really comes down to not just talent, but uh, communication, you know, and an ability to adapt and learn and understand how their how their contribution fits into the bigger picture of the game. Got it. Um, communication. But if we dive into that, because, you know, my job, I run a school, um, we use what, uh, in order to guide the students and ourselves to the curriculum, we use what we call hiring triggers. Mm -hmm. um, and so these are things like saying character art, uh, it's, you know, you got to have your high resolution at a certain level, or I think an easier example is if we look at texturing, um, is, is your texturing all ZBrush poly paint? You're not a job candidate. That's not a trigger for hiring. Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm looking at somebody's texture and you see that they've got gradients on there, they've got color variation, value variation, and the hue is, you know, is within a certain range. Um, those are hiring triggers. I know that they understand, you know, texturing, not just in terms of software, but in terms of actual craft. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are what do you see as some of the hiring triggers um, in general, just for game artists? Um, value for sure. Like, you know, like you're talking about texture values and, and color values, but also like, um, I really like to look for, uh, and this is something that I, that I kind of look back and, and question a lot for, for my career is like, what is the value of specialization over being a generalist? Mm -hmm. uh, and back in the day, being a generalist was really helpful because, um, there wasn't as much high end software. And so you learned a lot. But being a specialist, I think not only things like color values, but being able to showcase your work appropriately is, is like something I don't see quite a lot of even to this day on ArtStation is 50% of the stuff that is posted is, is doesn't even show um, what wireframe, right? Right. Uh, and, and like the more people can show not just all of your texture passes, but also um, you know, you use Harmon's uh, at viewer or, or like even SketchUp and just be able to showcase the full spectrum of what their model is. Um, but as an artist, like when it comes to functional art, and this is something I talk a lot about at, at my various jobs is 
knowing where to add detail and where not to relevant mm -hmm. to the game that you're making is super important. So, so even right here in, in this, this old video of, of uh, company of heroes is um, when, when you do start to work on your demo reel or when you do have a goal about where you want to end up, um, try to try to be very clear about what your intention is not just making a pretty piece of art but if you're if your goal is to get into RTS then you're looking at isometric cameras you're looking at lower lower poly but uh, faking it with uh, really good normal maps and, and surfaces right uh, versus if you're trying to get into first-person shooter you know like these are all the kinds of things that it doesn't just come down to to textures and, and values of, of the things that the, the metallic values and um, the distribution of the dirt, but it comes mm -hmm. down to what is your goal. And matching that with your studio. We talk about that. We, I, we have our students kind of establish a North star. Yeah. Yeah. So they know where to go. Um, so you mentioned that there's a lot of opportunity in this industry and that's a hard thing, especially right now. For us mm -hmm. to be thinking about, um, you know, because, and it's all new. Like we, I've had students take art tests, and then they've gotten notes back, like we love the art test, but we don't know what's going on right now, so we're just on hold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I've had some people say, you know, that junior level um, employees uh, is sometimes that's a little bit hard uh, because they need a lot of, um, you know, management and mentoring to become fully functional. So there's a lot of words that I'm hearing about this. Uh, but then I have students, one of my students just got a job at Apple. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a totally different career now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and but he started as a game artist. He came out of our boot camp and now he's, he's at Apple. Yay. Uh, so how, where are the opportunities? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um. I've personally uh, been looking at a lot of um, portfolios and resumes off of, um, it doesn't matter where their location is, mm -hmm. um, off of ArtStation and off of um, just Twitch, because I, I feel that even though uh, finding work right now in these times is difficult, I think the key to, to having more success to landing even a part-time contract is just getting out there and being visible. Um, and so, so like, I don't think that people are stopping looking for people when there is talent, the right talent, um, companies, AAA companies in particular will make room for, for the right candidates. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yes, we are in, in like some uncertain times, but, um, I don't think that means that any developers close their, the doors and their eyes to finding the right people at all. Hmm. That makes sense because they're always and, on that hunt. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting now when you see a lot of social media about, um, you know, just, just the something simple as steam sales is, is right. we, we work in an industry an entertainment industry where um, we really provide an escape for people, uh, you know, to be able to, to think about other things other than their worries and, it's times like this when people gravitate towards games. So I don't necessarily think that necessarily means a slowdown. Um, it actually provides some opportunity for people to engage more with the public and provide them that type of comfort and entertainment. So 
why games? What what gets you about games? Let's talk about this because you know people. There's people. I mean, in fact, one of my students, and I don't mean to keep coming. It's just students for kind of my life right now. So, <laughs> uh, one of my students, Kevin, um, he's one of those guys that's kind of on the front line, and he and it's you know it's an interesting front line to be on. He's restocking shelves, uh, and just basically working in a store that looks like a, you know, it's been hit by a bomb every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, he's working his butt off. He's got all kinds of stuff going on, um, trying to kind of get through, make himself a job candidate. Um, but, you know, what is it that is so special about this job from your perspective? Um, I, I think the, the interesting thing about games is that, um, it's uh, not only the, the freedom of expression mm-hmm. um, and being able to just create things out of your imagination, but if you're willing to commit to um, the nature of always uh, evolving and learning uh, and trying to be the best artist you can be, I, I think that's what uh, is really the most attractive thing about this industry, right? Is after 20 years, I, I still feel like um, what's kept me around is instinctively making the rule that every five years trying to reinvent myself right i'm I'm not a young buck there's a lot of young uh, fast talented kids out there these days um and when it comes down to it i think whether you're new or old to the industry uh you kind of have to give yourself that kind of guideline of even if you don't change jobs like figure out ways to improve and to like kind of reinvigorate your passion for the job. Right. Um, And so like, I think the reason why I chose games is is not only just because I I love playing games, but I wanted to be able to not only express myself, but give people that kind of joy um, that I got from playing these types of games and being able to uh, imagine different types of things and, and experience different types of worlds. Right. And Mm -hmm. just get away from it all. Right. Yeah, I get that. And, um, we hear a lot about how the career is a hard one. You have to reinvent yourself a lot. That's, Mm -hmm. there's some difficulties to that. Um, but um, I don't think we hear a ton about like the rewarding aspect of it and, you know, what's kind of important, mm-hmm. you know, for us. So I don't really know how to phrase what I'm asking here exactly, but um, like, yeah, I get that there, it helps like there we're building things that are distraction, but like, what's fun about this job? Like, what, what's the fun stuff Like you get in, you, you know, you're, ha- you're doing this, you're reinventing yourself. You're not a lawyer. You're not going out there and, you know, um, becoming a finance geek and all that stuff. Like what keeps you coming back to games? Um, I personally think that what kept me in the industry this long is not just the passion for playing what I create or mm-hmm. um, expressing myself, but just, the diversity of people that you meet and um, games is a really, ever since I joined the industry, games is a really uh, great way of creating culture around not only supporting um, your fellow teammates, but the yeah. community as well. Um, like when, when I was at Relic, um, we, we did a lot of um, 
game jams and marathons for raising funds for for um, children's hospital, right? Mm. Um, and Pixelmatic is very much structured the same way. Is is even right now we we have employees from all over the world, but we're constantly acting as a family and we're checking in on each other and saying, hey, you know, like I know you're in Paris, but are you safe? And I know there's a quarantine, and we're all kind of working together with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that um, you know games games provides a lot of that is is just like that kind of camaraderie and um striving towards creating a product together and having people en masse enjoy it Mm, that makes a lot of sense um there is always this strong community so you know the other thing you said that got me kind of interested you started as a 3d animator yeah i started um as a character artist and then Uh I found that I just want to learn way more about like, what does it mean to go end to end of um, a product, right? And and yeah. so from character modeling, I started to learn like, well, I, I really want to make the best, most believable face I can possibly make. And then so I started to get into animation. And then once I got into animation, I got into, well, oh, you know, you, know, you need to make this thing believable. How does it move? And then I got into rigging. And then from there, it just kind of kept going and going and going because the more I, I got introduced to new things to learn, I started to solve more things and people needed more help. And then I would just be the person that helps and teaches everybody uh, on how to make the things that ultimately end up on screen. And so for a good decade, um, I did that on many different projects, working, mm-hmm. working with an art director and, you know, um, extrapolating from what their vision is for that particular skewer or product and always answering the questions like, okay, but is it doable and how are we going to do it? And, uh, you know, is it performant? Is it shippable? Uh, and so after a while, like, um, just doing that job for a very long time, it's now become like, Oh, okay, well, I don't need to ask those questions because I'm the one helping the team actually produce the product and making the decisions. So it's become a lot easier that makes sense and uh you do you have i think you had a bit more on this presentation that you wanted to show right yeah um so like here like this is just another example of like how the industry is changing you know like we're we're starting to see uh, a lot more uh, competitive uh, advantages for both zbrush and for blender and blender starting to pick up steam but you can see right. uh with this example of one of our ships that this is hard ops uh, like development and a time lapse and just how we create our ships. Um, and the great thing about the Blender workflow is it's non-detrimental, right? So uh, we're using this hard ops plugin as well as we're using some deco plugins. And even in the latest Doom, you can see that uh, things are starting to change from uh, using kit materials and substance painter to now using decals because they're even more performant and you just have to change how you load things. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, this is just another example of like evolving and continuing to chase, you know, uh, different techniques as well as like figuring out, okay, how do you load this? How does it, how does it become performant? Right. And, um, and you're, you're speaking about, uh, uh, actual like shapes that you put in on a normal map um, that might be maybe you could explain what a decal is or a decal is um, to help people uh, understand especially relative to this because right what we're seeing right now is everything's put in geometry correct 
yeah, and then this would be uh, baked down into a high poly and then lotted into, you know, as many lots as you would need for the game. Right. Uh, but then uh, now we're seeing a lot of, of deco plugins where you would create uh, sculpted meshes and then you would project them onto simple textures, flat textures, and then mm -hmm. you would uh, put those on one texture sheet and those could all be painted with. Uh, whether it's a smart material or whether it's a static, just simple uh, one one type of material. And then you share those across all of your environment objects. And then that becomes a performance savings. So, so yeah, like um, I think I just tweeted uh, the other day about, you know, um, one of the guys on the internet pulled, pulled some of that uh, Doom workflow off the Doom Eternal stuff. Of mm -hmm. just, we're seeing a lot of these types of things uh, start to wake work their way into workflows now it's funny you know i see this stuff and i go back to maya because maya is like in basically became part of my genetic code yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hard to learn that yeah. i see this maya stuff or this blender stuff and i'm like you maya has i mean it's evolved a little bit but nothing like what we see blender doing and um a couple of other people i've talked to one of my uh friends who's a modeler on films um, yeah. now he's looking at blender as the modeling pipeline. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I, we haven't at Pixelmatic, we haven't done away with ZBrush by any means. Um, uh, but we've definitely moved to, uh, uh, using blender for all our environment objects. Um, this playing in the background is just, uh, one of the initial trailers when I joined the team, but we've changed the art vision quite substantially, but you can see that all of these, all of these models were actually done in Blender. Uh, and then, um, so, so yeah, like we're, we're adapting now, we're, we're learning a lot of Blender. Uh, there's advantages obviously to it being free, but I think that um, they're really starting to push the envelope and give Autodesk a run for their money, right? Because yeah. there's, there's so many things in there um, that uh, eventually there'll be more crossover between Painter uh, and Blender and ZBrush and then just phasing out uh, intermediate DCC packages. So digital content creation packages. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Did you say phasing them out? Well, I think that, uh, again, like the, the amount of overlap between Max and Maya even is getting quite crazy. And so like having a one-stop shop in, in Blender is, is becoming pretty useful from a production standpoint. Mm -hmm. So... So yeah, that, that's, uh, these are the videos that I had just to give you a little bit of a recap. But then uh, I also had a little bit of a deck to show you guys. Um, okay. And so, and so, yeah, like um, this is just like all of the information about like uh, what it takes to kind of get to the point where you're creating content for an IP. But I, I think it would be interesting to hear uh, what what people's thoughts are on like what it, what does it mean to make game content right mm -hmm. uh, and so when I joined uh, Pixelmatic this was this was kind of like the original vision and and when you think about like what's in the mind of an an art director this will probably help people to understand a little bit more about like uh, what uh, an art director needs to capture in their head and hold in their head as as mm -hmm. as a vision right. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is like from that last trailer when I joined the initial concept art and um, I think the question for me straight away was like how do, how do I 
how do I start to the same way that uh, people are watching now? How do you start to differentiate yourself in a market, right? Um, how do you make yourself um, like something that stands out? Uh, and so this is at, even at the highest level, something that uh, art directors and, and dev teams and creative directors struggle with right now is there's, there's just so much competition out there even in the games themselves that mm -hmm. you have to find ways to, to really uh, get your message across. Right. So um, the initial art direction for, for this from the concept art standpoint was, was is very dark and, and kind of uh, gritty. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we're dealing with a lot of uh, when you, when you rip apart essentially uh, the game concept, you know, working with the, the design director, the creative director, the art director, uh, the, the technical director and, and lead engineers. And you're trying to figure out like, what, how is this game going to stand out? What are our pillars? Um, it all comes back to this type of stuff. Right? Um, and so when you, when you start from even conception, it's just, uh, you have to start thinking about those things immediately. Uh, and so uh, even translating this uh, concept art into what, uh, we had for an initial, um, this is when I joined the team about uh, the challenges that you might have on even redoing an IP, you know, uh, a sequel of a, uh, a sequel of a game or a new IP and just uh, going whether from it's an indie studio or a triple A studio to figuring out what your, your game is about visually uh, as well as gameplay. Yeah. So from so from this point on, um, like uh, I started to focus on uh, how how do we really boil this IP down to the core of what the experience is uh, from a visual standpoint. And what's really important to me is always relating it back to gameplay uh, comes first, right? Okay. Um, because if people can't understand the game itself, then the art really doesn't. It isn't doing its job properly by creating that illusion as well as communicating the intent of the things that are going on. Um, and so uh, I started to look at something that really, um, what I thought this IP stood for, which is, um, it was clear to me that there was inspiration from Macross, uh, you know, and uh, from even a little bit of Gundam, but what what does it mean at, at the core of a project? Um, what is that was a project trying to uh, communicate to to the public, right? And so uh, I right away pivoted to something a little bit more uh, retro, because uh, I think the company itself is is just rooted in anime and really. Uh, that's where their heart is, but the visuals really weren't speaking that at all. Interesting. Um, I, I kind of—I don't know if I'm getting ahead of it, but I kind of want to understand a little bit more about what this means—the gameplay in art directing. Yeah, uh, um, because that seems like that's a pretty strong difference between, say, film and you know, ads and all that stuff. Absolutely, and and so. Um, you know, even working in television, I thought that the talk today would be really a lot more better suited to helping people to understand that when you're when you're working in, in games, you're creating interactive media. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what's most important is not just helping players to learn the mechanics of the game, 
but helping to um, enhance that experience with the visuals, right? And so I'll, I'll kind of go into this deck a little bit more, just a really simple concept of like the kinds of things that you hopefully, you know, when you get a job, whether you're a contractor or whether you're a full-time employee, will help you to kind of become a better game artist. Um, and so, so again, like I started on this, on this path of like, okay, how do I make this IP stand out amongst the, the home worlds and the star citizens and the, you know, the Eve Online's. And I found that retro is really where the heart of this, this um, brand should be. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we, we started here with um, uh, my good friend now, uh, Ronan Lafleur, who is also known as uh, the art of Dufresh on ArtStation, you should go check him out. Um, but we started to really explore, like, okay, how do I first pivot on the brand to make sure that people understand what this IP is about? It's not about, you know, the the realistic metals, and it's not about, you know, um, necessarily like uh, the epic like grandeur of space opera it's about the quintessential anime experience right mm -hmm. and then from that how do i create a visual around it but then how do i also support gameplay uh, and so even though that this this first iteration from ron and i was was pretty clear about okay we're in the right direction you know if you put any 80s or 90s uh retro cartoon music you know like i always joke around the office like this is this is i could play the old x-men you know soundtrack on this and it just screams retro it's like -na 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 -na. like this is the kind of thing like when you're when you're in the zone and you're trying to find um find what your what your your niche is is the kind of things that go through your creative mind right um uh, but does it really uh you know scratch the itch uh, and does it support gameplay? And we had to push it a little bit further. So uh, as much as this was, was vibrant and it was contemporary and it was um, speaking to some of the inspiration, I had to take it a step further. And so, um, you know, this is a really simple example of we, I just said, well, you know, like, let's go even further. Let's go even deeper down that road and start to separate ourselves from what's out there on the market. Um, and so instead of being vibrant, you know, you start to look at uh, prioritizing color and making sure that color and the palettes that you're choosing actually um, allow for you to communicate gameplay in a visual way. And so here you can see not only am I uh, dropping the saturation values of everything, but I'm also creating more focus around uh, you know, the lasers themselves by having them more saturated and being more pop. Um, and so like, this is um, what I'm gonna continue to talk about today. It's just a small idea that you can start to learn uh, from from your art directors or from just doing experiments in, in Unity and, and just like, or Unreal and just some like project yourself is like creating separation between all the different elements so that gameplay is clear, right? This is, um, I, I don't, I feel like this dovetails with something we talk about. Um, we've been talking about more recently, uh, presentation, mm -hmm. um, because I just had the stack with a conversation with Gavin Gold and he was talking about how they get a thousand applicants for each job opening. Right. Mm -hmm. And he says 60% of them, they cut right away. 
and the criteria they use to cut is presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that tells them whether or not they've got the eye or not. And if they don't have the eye, they can't train for that, but they can certainly train you to go from Maya to max, for mm-hmm. example, that's not a big deal. Um, ZBrush to Mudbox, Mudbox to ZBrush, whatever. Um, but the eye, right. And so what I'm hearing you say here, this is, um, this this intentional word is sticking with me because it's like here you're in you're you're showcasing the fact that you understand this genre mm-hmm. and you you're, you're showing a depth of understanding that's a bit of a trigger it's a bit of like okay this person gets it they get who we are mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah um and so this can come in many different forms right it's um, you can have an eye for color. You can have an eye for shape language. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have an eye for other things too. And so like when you're, when you're displaying a showcase of uh, animation for, per se, you know, combat animation moveset, right, is uh, the way that you can impress an employee in a demo reel is really making sure that, for example, you know what's important to the gameplay read. Uh, and so a, a great example is, is just like a charge three combo attack animation, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of what uh, combat games do is, whether it's Devil May Cry, uh, you know, whether it's even Dragon Ball, you know, um, is, is uh, you know, making sure that you, you antic and you hold on that last pose for impact. And the minute somebody watches an animation reel where that stuff isn't present and everything is floaty, that's like a cut criteria right there, right? Mm. Is if you know you're making a demo reel for or a portfolio for games, you need to be able to um, understand what the end goal is for what you're trying to showcase. And yeah. there's many ways that you can you can get that information, right? You don't you you can certainly learn it at school, but after you graduate from school, while you're trying to find a job. Um, the community in general, whether it's on forums or whether it's on social media, is, is super willing to help everybody else out, right? And so just firing off quick, quick messages to people on Twitter, even um, you can get real small tidbits of information that are going to help you to find out what's important, you know? F- start following people that inspire you. Start uh, watching all of their, their gifts, and you'll kind of start to pick things up. But have an open dialogue with the community because it's one of the most... Uh, friendly embracing communities that I've ever had to work with right so yeah so yeah um nostalgic right so this if you compare this to this is we're really hitting on nostalgic now right and and we're starting to like build this IP back up from these dark grays and and worrying about lighting and um, separation of visuals into something that is more we're going to live within the realm of vibrant and nostalgic um and then so again how does this relate back to you know making a game it's it's great to make pretty art um but it's not functional by any means whether it's a face whether it's uh, you know an effect uh, it all has to relate back to building a game and helping to convey what the gameplay is right and mm-hmm. so uh, what I want to just show you guys today is just a small thing that I was teaching the team about when I first joined, which is, um, you know, how to take something like this as a, just an example of like, how, how do you how do you process this as a as a gamer? Can can you even process this uh, when you look at this in motion? Like, 
how much is going on here, right? Um, and even taking the concept, starting to teach them, uh, you know, this is a lot more clear, right? Mm. Um, and yeah. so what we were, we were talking about when it comes to revisiting the initial vision is like, uh, use, use the values and the saturation and the motion of all of the things that you're creating to create clear, clear gameplay. Um, and this is different for every single different genre in games, right? There's third person, there's first person, there's RTS, and uh, I've, I've worked in both third person and RTS, uh, but there's different requirements. So, so again, is when, when you're applying for a job is if you're living within the third person action space, you're, you're going to be looking for different things to showcase than you're going to be looking for in an RTS. Uh, for this game in particular, it is about, uh, you know, uh, it, like Infinite Fleet is, it's a large space ship battle tactical MMO where you kind of explore procedural space, you customize the fleet, and you fight AI, but it's about an, an uh, army on mass. And when everything is firing on all four cylinders, how do you process that as a gamer is the kind of things that I need to think about as an art director, right? Um, so then like this is how I kind of explained it to the team right is is if even if you have a, a you know a super far away camera and you have tens of tens of thousands of ships on screen well not thousands because it's pretty hard to on, on even today's machines but if you have hundreds of units on screen um, how does a player quickly understand what is going on in the game where where's the threats coming from uh, what what units have abilities on what don't uh, how can I counter this unit with this ability like these all have to come down to how the art is being communicated right and so in this example here is just taking that concept art this is what I've been trying to push for uh, in the new art vision is that these white spots in particular the effects are priority number one right and so you make sure that all those have high saturation values, they pop on screen, and then the gray becomes priority number two, and you drop the saturation levels and you make that uh, the next layer. And then you deprioritize, unless it's a key point in the game, like an objective or something, you deprioritize everything else and you drop it back, whether it's with um, you know, the depth or like fog or anything like that. Use all the tricks to kind of push all those things back into the background. So again, if you go from here, and if you imagine this as in-game, you should be able to really clearly see what is going on if you if you think about it in this respect. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know how much um, we can continue to like keep teaching uh, graduates or people that are learning how to get into the game industry about you know, it's it's not necessarily just about the art, but it's about like, if if your passion is games, is you gotta be asking the questions and inquisitive, and I think that's what makes a value employee as well is knowing knowing the right questions to ask, showing the engagement, showing that you understand what you're building and it's benefiting the design of the game, uh, as well as the creative vision. Well, let's uh, flip the script then, if you don't mind, and uh, talk about the negative, um, you know, because that's, that's one thing that says, okay, you got to do this. Um, sometimes it's hard for people to understand exactly what that 
means and when they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the things, the triggers that tell you somebody's not like hitting the mark, you know, so you're hiring for Pixelmatic. I don't know if you're hiring or not. I'm just saying, uh, assuming you're hiring for Pixelmatic. Um, what are the triggers, the things that say, okay, this person did not do their research. They um, are not understanding, you know, our motif and who we are, um, you know, so they're not going to be a candidate for us. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think for starters, obviously, like if, if the person has a realistic demo reel and you're looking for something that's more anime centric, you're looking mm-hmm. at the things like proportions um, and style in general that they're interested in. Right. Um, I, I think it's pretty staple for, for interviewers to ask, you know, what are their interests? Um, but, but I think we, we don't concentrate enough on like, uh, when, when you're in an interview, like knowing really like how passionate you are about those things. And before you even apply, like really having that as, as something that is, is ingrained in who you are as an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, uh, it's difficult obviously to find a job that perfectly matches your, your interests, but at the same time, like it's going to definitely show if, if you're showcasing things that aren't relevant to the position. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I always like to see even from, uh, the beginning of an art project, like what, what contributed to the end product that's in a portfolio, even on the job now, after 20 years, I'm still teaching, um, senior and lower, sometimes even principal level, um, employees about like how to create uh you know a layered approach of developing um, an asset right is you always need to do your reference gathering and you need to do your gray box and then only do you first validate your gray box in the game or um, when it comes to readability and silhouette do you then proceed to the next stage and you'd be surprised at how many people skip those first two steps they, they go still to an end product where, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's where the, the, that's where the danger is, is that you end up really missing the mark on like, what was the most important part? Oh, the most important part is that this character needs to be inverse triangle shape. So they need to be top heavy. Right. Um, and, and so like, I would, I would love to see in future, like more schools um, teach that type of thing is like you're, you're developing an asset or you're developing even a concept for something that is pertinent to a certain type of game. Uh, and then what do we pay attention to? Right? Totally. Yeah. We're actually, um, well, anyways, I'll save that for later. So <laughs> the, um, there's something I kind of, I just lost it. There was something I kind of wanted to hit on there in terms of um, the intentionality of that and passion. Uh, it's that job interview. I mean, those are painful for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. And they're arbitrary, you know, because it's like you got this moment. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's an hour to try to sum up this person. It's high risk, high stakes. The person gets the job. They don't. You get an employee that works for you. You get an employee that you're going to have to let go in a month, which is never a positive um, thing. So it's a high risk moment. Um and it tends to create this artificiality. It's like people are in there. They're like, okay, so, you know, I got to show this. I got to show this. I got to have this answer for, as you said, I got to have this answers for my interests. So I'm interested mm-hmm. in this. I'm interested in that. 
Um, what kind of recommendations or what tips do you give people going into that job interview so that they can show, you know, their authentic self? Um, so I think the easiest thing for showing your authentic self is just try to relax and just try to not necessarily have uh, an agenda of what you want to sell yourself on, mm -hmm. um, but just be natural. And just, even if, uh, you get caught in a position where, uh, you're on the spot and we're talking about things that maybe you're not interested in, mm -hmm. um, you know, explain what you are interested in and how that actually relates to being a good candidate for the job. Um, the other thing that has really been blowing me away in the last um, five years, especially with, you know, uh, engines becoming so much more accessible is um, like an instant, like I need to relook at this guy or I need to um, keep this portfolio is when uh whether they're veteran or whether they're uh, new to the industry, just fooling around with an engine and seeing their art functioning in game. Mm -hmm. um, that just blows my mind. Right. I've, I've had guys that I've interviewed at previous jobs where it's just like, um, we're talking about, you know, the importance of, of camera and contextualizing your art relative to camera. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had, they had, no tick boxes at all for like, do you know how to use, do you know like what's important for like how to create content for an inventory system and, you know, being able to customize a character and like, what do you need to know for like number of maximum influences on a bone for skinning and stuff like that. But they weren't able to answer all those, but the minute they told me, Oh, and I made a Diablo esque video game and here's my art in it. And I did some level design that, that definitely perks my interest of like, Oh, okay this guy is way more capable in other areas um, mm. that are of interest to him. And being able to display that is like huge. Right? That's great. So leverage, like just don't focus on just the skills and just the model and just that, but start to leverage, you know, whatever other interest you have to make sure that you're really giving this some power. So if somebody makes an environment, you know, do some walkthroughs, do some VFX, put some characters in it, things like that. Yeah. Uh, even if it's not, perfect um and maybe you're using a couple you know marketplace assets for just navigating the world that you built but showing like oh i actually put this end to end into unity uh and you know i exported all my stuff from painter and these are the presets i use and i actually got it into the game and this is uh, what it runs at and i did some basic lighting on it like these are huge now in in terms of separating yourself from other candidates hmm. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we are coming up on our time. So I guess I, I got a couple more questions that I want to ask um, yeah. to help. I don't know if you've got more. Oh, I love that model. Yeah. So this is some stuff that we're working on. Like, so we've talked about this, right? Prioritizing yeah. gameplay and values. Yeah. And now um, we're, we're past the point of like, okay, well, we know that we want, uh, you know, this visual to stand out. And then how do we count? How do we balance that with VFX? So this is just an example of some of the stuff that we're working on, a little sneak peek. Uh, and then this is like, as we take it a step further, how do we, how do we get closer to this and not this, right? With consistent lighting. And so yeah. now we start to look at not only using PBR materials to standardize all of our values, but we're doing some look dev now. Mm. Right? 
And then the hope is that, you know, go end to end and you can have an experience like this, but everything is clear, right? So, so obviously this, these green lasers are from the enemy. These orange lasers are from um, your team. Uh, and then you can uh, separate everything out. You can parse everything out from like what is happening in a giant battle. Mm -hmm. Where are you doing your look dev? Blender or? Uh, well, uh, we do a lot of our look dev in Unity okay. uh, with custom shaders. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're right now we're doing look dev with our new skyboxes, HDRI, um, HDRP in Unity, uh, and then just mashing everything together and then starting to tweak all of our post-processing. Nice. Great. Well, I got a few more questions um, that I want to run. Uh, do you have more here that you wanted to present though? No, I'm good. Okay, Go great. So the next thing would be, cause you know, we're school. So, um, and you've been in this industry 20 years, I think you said, right? Yeah. And you've done everything from 3d animation um, to now art director. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and you're higher, you do do hiring when, when the company's hiring. Yep. Um, so what, advice just in broad general perspective here what advice do you have for people who are uh, looking to get started and i mean like you know they haven't necessarily graduated from college they don't even know what program they're going to take or how they're going to educate themselves you know to the whole deal just they're looking at this and they're like the career my uh, mom wants me to do is not like i'm just not happy with that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know and uh, and then i want to tack on to that like people that have been trying and what we have to do but why don't we just start with people that are brand new they're looking at this and they're like this looks cool i want to do this i don't know how to get started yeah i i think also another thing to throw in there is obviously cost right it's yeah like, that's a big part yeah you no know, when when i started to go to school at vfs uh, it was much cheaper than i was class 21 but the cost was only like 16k i think mm. and now like tuitions are pretty high so when you're trying to convince your parents or you're trying to take a student loan out for these type of things. These are the things that cross your mind, right? Totally. Um, but, I, but I think the best way to start is not only look for um, a school that offers competitive curriculum and a great structure, but um, don't, don't be afraid to just grab uh, indie, indie versions of software, whether it's Houdini whether it's Maya, you know, like just use those first free months uh, and just start experimenting in things and do online tutorials and prep yourself for specialization for when you actually save up the money or when you enroll or get accepted to a course. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's so many options out there now with just being able to get in there and get your hands dirty. Uh, and, and most of the the software developers um, have them for free for trial periods. So right. the best thing you can do is just is start to follow great tutorials, focus on a particular package, try other like multiple packages and then just get dirty with it right away. Um, and then when it comes to even like going a step further is don't be afraid to share your work, whether it's web or final social media is great for that is, is, is just being able to, um, put yourself out there and, and get noticed and then get feedback and start to improve yourself on that free trial period stuff. Mm -hmm. And what about those that um, have been trying to get into the industry for a while and maybe they've gone to school? Uh, I, I would say don't give up and, and just 
make sure that again you you utilize your 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 different avenues to market yourself. You, you gotta keep updating your resume, obviously, and try different things. If you feel that your resume is, is not getting traction, uh, don't get stuck in, in just making the same types of things, the same types of style over and over, right? Again, it comes down to standing out. Um, so push yourself to try different, different techniques as well as like do a different style of a character, right? right. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if you take an analogy, everybody does a MOBA or everybody does a battle royale. Um, so there's, there, in my opinion, this is the same with RIP now is like, what's the harm in, in doing an experiment and going the complete opposite direction, make something that people completely aren't expecting and try your best at that. Yeah, I get that. All right. And how do people find you? Uh, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter at waynewongchong.com. Um, I would totally be okay with sharing my email too. It's waynewongchong, all one word at yahoo.ca. I'm more than willing to answer any questions and help people to, you know, um, get their resumes up and, and kind of get out there because I think it's important to give back to the community. Awesome. Wayne, man, thank you so much for spending the time and for, um, helping to distract us. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Ryan. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great to meet you and, uh, and to hear your insights and all that stuff. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. And stay safe out there, everybody. All right. We'll do. Okay. All right, guys, take care. Uh, leave a comment down below this video. Let me know what is one thing that you really picked up on this. Remember, and uh, make sure to share these for other people that are, um, you know, could use the conversation. Yeah. All right. Talk to y'all later. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. It really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.